Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I'm the director of the AFCA program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Willett. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundation and, like Judd, have served at the National Security Council as well as the U.S. State Department and Senate Foreign Relations. This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we promise to deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about the Gambia, and we are joined by Ade Dermi, a journalist, broadcaster, social commenter, and media trainer. He is also an editor at the Journal of Sierra Leone Studies and African lifestyle magazine, Promota Africa. Judd, can you walk us through the history of U.S. policy towards the Gambia? U.S. relations with the Gambia goes back to World War II. As the U.S. Embassy website notes, Gambia's capital served as an air stop for the U.S. Army Air Corps and a port of call for Allied naval convoys. Franklin Delano Roosevelt even visited on his way to Casablanca to meet Churchill and Stalin. He uncharitably called it a hellhole. The U.S. government hadn't planned to open up a physical embassy in the Gambia, but apparently when Lyndon Johnson's Assistant Secretary of State attended the country's independence ceremonies in 1965, the Gambia's new prime minister and later president, Dada Jawara, asked him point blank about the future of diplomatic relations. The answer evidently was, of course we're going to open up in a U.S. embassy. So until 1980, there was a charge, a physical embassy, but the U.S. ambassador to the Senegal was accredited to the Gambia. The Peace Corps was probably the U.S. government's most important contribution to bilateral ties in those early years. In 1981, there was an attempted coup against President Jawara by dissidents backed by Libya. Side note, the president was in London attending Prince Charles and Princess Diana's wedding. Senegal sent troops in to restore order, but many U.S. families and Peace Corps volunteers were outside the Senegalese defense perimeter. Secretary of State Al Haig proposed sending a full Delta Force battalion to the Gambia because he claimed they were just sitting around doing nothing in Fort Bragg. Ultimately, a small number of U.S. troops were sent, but it was really the British Special Forces that evacuated the Americans in the Gambia. In 1994, a 29-year-old Lieutenant Yaya Jame, just back from four months of military police training in Alabama, overthrew the president. Despite this reversal in the country's democratic trajectory, President Clinton has the distinction of nominating the only political appointee to the Gambia. George Haley, the brother of Alex Haley, the famed author of Roots, served as the ambassador from 1998 to 2001. In Roots, as many of our listeners may know, Alex Haley traces ancestry back to the Gambia. It's not clear whether these U.S. connections were a factor, but Jame was the first head of state in the world to congratulate George W. Bush on his election win, even before he had been declared president. Bush 43, by the way, had attended the country's 25th anniversary day celebration on behalf of his father in 1990. Relationships, however, were rocky at best, while the U.S. appreciated that Jame deployed peacekeepers to support regional peace and stability efforts, his paranoia about coups, his boasting that he could cure AIDS, HIV, really strained ties. In 2006, Jame was furious that his country had been suspended from the Millennium Challenge Corporation on account of its human rights abuses. U.S. Gambian ties took another hit in 2014 when naturalized Americans from the Gambia tried to overthrow the government. 
In 2017, President Jame held his fifth election since coming to power. Most observers expected another sham result, but the opposition leader, Adama Barra, won, and at first, Jame conceded. The White House was elated they sent a public statement welcoming the result, but quickly grew concerned as Jame backpedaled and rejected the results. Eventually, the Senegalese, through ECOWAS, intervened, and Barra was inaugurated as the country's third leader. Ade, do you want to tell us about a major U.S. success or policy failure? I think the major success in the Gambia has been, again, similar to another country, Sierra Leone, has been the Peace Corps. Because what the Peace Corps have done is that Gambia is a country that relies very heavily on agriculture. And so the Peace Corps have actually gone to many of the rural communities and become embedded there to kind of help modernize some of the sort of uh, farming methods, really, uh, which needed modernization. And a lot of this was driven by the former prime minister, later president, Sadawda Jawara. He was a veterinary surgeon by profession, but he was also somebody who, because he realized that his country relied very heavily on agriculture, even before independence, had actually made three trips to Israel to learn about farming methods. And in fact, I helped put on an exhibition here in the Gambia with the photographs from those three trips. And so he was always bringing people who were sort of based with agriculture or horticulturalists as well. And so whenever they were sending peace corps, he would always kind of try and stress that this is what they were looking for. And I think, again, if you go to some of these rural, rural communities and you hear them speak of the peace corps, they have nothing but good to say about them. So I think that's been one huge success. It's not the sort of thing that people normally shout and scream about. But if you get down to, you know, no pun intended, the grassroots, you'll find that actually they're very, very well remembered and well considered. Judd, what should the U.S. strategy towards the Gambia be? What should it look like at this point? I'm going to give it a shot, but I think I'm going to ask Ade to help me out here. I mean, the Gambia is in a transition still, right? The election was in 2017. They have new elections coming up at the end of the year in 2021. And so there's a host of things that the U.S. government should be doing to help Gambia move and consolidate its democracy. I think that the work of the Gambians in terms of truth and reconciliation are really important to continue to support to continue to support rebuilding the military after so many years under Jame and a history of abuses. I think there's some work that we could be doing with the Gambians to address some of the problems in the Constitution. I suspect, Ade, you can help us think through some of those challenges, but there's a number of things, whether it's term limits or, or homophobic clauses that are still in those Constitution, and maybe that's something that the U.S. can do. One of the things about the Gambia that I want to highlight here, because it's really exemplary, is thinking about such a small country playing such an outsized role in the international community. And that's around the decision to take Myanmar uh, to court, essentially, for the, the abuses towards the Rohingya. And I think supporting the Gambia, also telling the Gambia story, because I think that there's a potential for other African countries to stand up around these global human rights issues. But the Gambia's really impressive decision and bold to do this, I think is an exemplar. And we could be doing more to work with them in this particular case, but also, you know, modeling it for other countries. So Ade, what did I miss? What else should the Biden administration do? I think pretty much you've nailed it. But I think one of the things that I think the Biden, not one of the things, the main thing I think since I came to the Gambia, I've always said that 
the Gambia is a country that's learning to be a democracy. And I think that is where America and the Biden administration can step in and help because they had 22 years of either dictatorship or autocratic rule. Whereas you said, you know, elections became a bit of a sham. And then the election that actually unseated Jame was a shock to him and to everybody else. And so the country has not really had the opportunity to be a democracy. It's learning. And, and so some of it is painful and people are getting used to, you know, what happens in a democracy. And I think this is where America can help because some of the civil society organizations that might hold government's feet to the fire, they don't have funding. They don't have money. But there's a danger. If the funding comes from America, people will say, are they American stooges? But I think that's something that has to be just brushed away. All right, Nicole, I gave you some ideas. Adi gave you some ideas. Now, how do we make the interagency do that? And I think important, the Gambia doesn't get that much attention in our system. So how do you sort of keep it in the conversation and do some of the things that we're talking about? So it's exciting to talk about the Gambia and the interagency because a little can go a long way. This is a country where some of our more traditional tools can work. I'm not sure that we're in a, in a place where we need to think wildly outside the box because we haven't even really done a lot of what's inside the box. So that means that you can get consensus much more easily within the interagency process because a lot of this is bread and butter for each agency. So Peace Corps being Peace Corps, USAID really focusing on the agricultural pieces of this, commerce coming in to support that as surround sound with the Foreign Commercial Service. USAID, again, along with Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor at State, really leaning in on some of that election support. It's a particularly critical time to do so. I mean, in some ways, almost too late, but we're getting into sort of the height of election season prep. And that's a really important time to get things right so that the contest has a real shot at being seen as legitimate. Those are all things that we know how to do as a foreign policy institution, along with DOD, which can bring a lot to bear on the military rebuilding. So instead of these conversations having to go to very senior levels, requiring a huge amount of attention in a foreign policy universe that is really distracted by all kinds of other things happening in the world. This is one where a few sort of desk officers and a C directors, office directors can come together with the things that they know how to do and make a plan for how to sequence them, for how to make sure that there is an overlap. I am one of these people who is obsessed with education and the Gambia and Sierra Leone had close ties. And there was a time when you'd go to some of the schools and 60, maybe 70% of the teachers in the Gambia were from Sierra Leone. But as time went on, the education system in the Gambia suffered greatly. And so the schools in terms of infrastructure is one of the ways in which I think, you know, they're looking for help, they're pleading for help to strengthen the system. And, you know, sometimes I smile and I say, Gambia has already become Americanized because everybody who has a laptop or an Android, they have Word. And it's the, the, the default setting for English is US. And so they don't correct it. And so every signboard you see now I'm afraid, has American English rather than UK English, which, of course, this was a former British colony. So I find it quite ironic. You would never go anywhere and see the word center spelled the way the British spell it. It's all spelled the American way now. So there's been that kind of colonization almost by accident. But, you know, to be serious, I think one of the things, again, Gambia has qualified for the Africa Cup of Nations for the first time. 
I've been amazed going around to schools and to play fields to see the talent that there is, the athletic and sporting talent that there is in Gambia. And again, you know, something that I would advocate for another country, I would advocate for the Gambia scholarships to these places. Gambia has the African champion at the women's 200 meters, Gina Bass, is a Gambian. Now, the fact that Gambia can produce somebody who could beat people like Marie-Josée Talou, who train in France all year round to be African champion is astonishing. And yet there are many other Gina Basses, but they're just not getting the chance. Ade, you and I are both history buffs. And so I'm going to ask you to help with this one question that we always get with the Gambia. Maybe we can just put it on this podcast and we don't have to ask anymore. Why and when did it become the Gambia? <laughs> in, a, in a funny way, it, has, it, had, it, it had always been the Gambia, but at independence and just before independence, uh, because even the Portuguese who gave it the name uh, Gambia in, in Portuguese translates as the Gambia. And so obviously it was named after the river. But at the time of independence or just before independence, Sadaura Jawara applied to this. Uh, there, there's a committee on geographic names, and the name escapes me, the full name of the committee escapes me, but uh, they're the ones who actually decide on what countries get called, funnily enough. And he applied to them and he said, because Zambia was about to become independent as well, he did not want there to be confusion between the Gambia and Zambia. And so it has the definitive article. There are only two countries. There's the Gambia and the Bahamas, even though we put it in front of other countries. Yeah, we put it in front of the Seychelles a lot, but that's not its official's name. That's not its name, exactly. And several others that we, we put it in front of, but officially they're not. But the Gambia is the Republic of the Gambia, not the Republic of Gambia. And so, yes, uh, that's how it became the Gambia. It, it was solidified and you can go to the committee which I think was initially formed in 1880-something and then grew up to the British Royal Geographic Society and became a committee in 1919 after the, the First World War. And you had to apply to them for the name and they applied to them and it was granted and hence it became The Gambia. Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.